Hi, Dad. I am pretty sure we're in a podcast studio in Hollywood, California, but if I can't tell, does it matter? <laughs> Regardless, this is Westworld The Recapables, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your host, David Shoemaker. Today we're talking Season 2, Episode 4, The Riddle of the Sphinx. We're doing this before airing without the benefit of subtitles or Reddit groupthink or a safety net. In this episode, we got a lot of Jim Delos, or is it him? We got the man in black becoming a hero, maybe, and we got Bernard trying to remember where he left his car keys. I am joined for my laboratory debriefing this week by an old amigo of mine, the host of Binge Mode, the host of NBA Desktop, and a writer for TheRinger.com, the one and only Jason Concepcion. I guess I didn't make it, did I? <laughs> and, as always, the living embodiment of Cognitive Plateau. <laughs> He's freed from his chains, but he's still got his bucket and his granola bars. It's Danny Heifetz. How you doing, Danny? Don't worry, Miko. <laughs> Terminate all functions. <laughs> um, this was a crazy, crazy episode. Crazy. My first note to Jason, yeah. before he saw it, after I had seen it, was... I don't know if you're going to like this episode, but you're going to like talking about this episode. Oh. So let's just get right to it. Jason, what is your tweet length review of the Riddle of the Sphinx? Elsie back. <laughs> All right, I'll take that. Um, this was a nuts episode. Very, very nuts, yes. We got, they've gone out of their way, I feel like, to make every open, cold open or no, feel very different from everything we've seen before. Yes. We got, we started off in episode one, sort of safe. With uh, Dolores and maybe Bernard, whoever right. that is, uh, debriefing. Episode two, we got the hotel room in whatever city we were in. Yep. Episode three, wait, what even? Oh, episode the three. British was Raj. In, yeah, <laughs> the British Raj. Yeah, Raj And then this week, we got a weird uh, apartment Rolling scene with Stones. Jim Dallas. Yeah, yeah. With Rolling with Fire. Again, the sound cues are a, uh, the music cues are a big part of everything that's going on. should also mention the riddle, they love to play with the titles. Riddle of the Sphinx, of course, is the uh, famous story of the Sphinx where, let me get the exact quote. It's, who crawls on all fours as a baby, then walks on two feet, and then uh, walks using a walking stick? And the answer was man? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, there's a lot to get into with the title, and we'll be sure to get into that later. But before we break it down, here is everything that happened in Westworld Season 2, Episode 4. We open in a mod Ikea showroom apartment with the Rolling Stones play with fire on the turntable and it's none other than James Delos getting ready for the day. He has a visitor. William comes in and gives him some scotch and Jim takes a belt of it. They have an interview to establish a baseline for fidelity because he's dying of a disease and he's clearly got the shakes and... Wait, are they turning him into a host? William hands him a letter and Jim is stunned and... Take two, further on the show, we're back at it again. Except this time it's Do the Strand by Roxy Music playing, and when William comes in, he's looking a little bit older. And we finally see the letter, which is a script of the conversation they've just had. Jim had his consciousness put into a host, but he's shaking and tripping over words, and it's not the disease, it's the goddamn cognitive plateau. So they fucking set the whole room on fire with Jim inside. Take three, no music this time, and instead of Jimmy Simpson as William, we get Ed freaking Harris. So obviously they've been at this for a while. He goes through the motions, but eventually just starts antagonizing Jim because maybe the whole idea was a mistake and people aren't meant to live forever. Jim starts flipping out and William says, don't set him on fire, just let him go nuts, which somehow seems more cruel. If you aim to cheat the devil, you owe an offering. Back on Westworld, Clementine drags Bernard to a cave where he finds Elsie chained to a rock with some granola bars and she flips out because if you'll recall, Bernard attacked her and left her there. He frees her, she grabs a gun, he collapses because he's on the fritz and she realizes for the first time that he's a host and she puts him in safe mode to save his life. I always trusted Co more than people anyway. When he wakes up, she tries to bolt, but Bernard convinces her to stay, and they find a secret lab. There's lots of these things. And by the way, Bernard is floating in and out of timelines, which can't be healthy, but it's sort of convenient. The lab is full of dead techs and a control unit printer and one drone host who else he shoots. They weren't building hosts in this lab. They were building, wait for it, uh, clones, I guess? They open a door and find the room within a room within a lab within a cave within a fake old west town where they were working on Jim Delos. Everything's in shambles, and here's Jimmy! He's lost it fully. He's carving up his own face with broken glass. It's gross. He attacks Elsie, but Bernard saves the day, and then Elsie sets the room on fire. 
Elsie then tries to leave again, but Bernard remembers just enough to get her to stay and tells her he's got autonomy now, so she's like, cool, robots are the real ones. But then Bernard flashes back one last time and remembers he came to this lab before to kill everybody. Is this now? Grace, which I'm saying with air quotes, is captured by the Ghost Nation, and she talks to Stubbs, who's also captured, and they obviously know each other. The tribe takes the humans to some kind of nighttime ceremony, and Akechta says, free yourself of this burden, and Grace is like, okay, and runs off. Good thing. You hockey, you stop off. Hey, hey! Oh, God. Meanwhile, the man in black and Lawrence ride up on some hosts slaughtering other hosts by nailing them into a railroad, which is gross, and they head to Las Mooters or wherever Lawrence is from. They have a drink outside the cantina, just like they did in the olden days, and the bartender is freaked out, not because of them, but because confederados have hijacked the town, and they come and capture man in black and Lawrence and put them in the church with the other townsfolk. Lawrence tells man in black that they've hidden all their weapons in a grave, and man in black just goes and tells Craddock, and he says he can help them get to glory. Craddock tortures the barkeep with his new nitro, and the man in black is so not into it. Later on, Craddock messes with Lawrence and his wife, talks about how he and death are old amigos, and the man in black remembers his wife committing suicide and is pissed off, and he's like, brother, did you see my outfit? I am death. And he kills all the confederados, except for Craddock, who he leaves for Lawrence to blow up. At the end of the show, the man in black has a deep conversation with Lawrence's whip-smart, capable daughter, where he insists he's not a hero at all, and then he and Lawrence and his cousins ride off into the sunset and encounter, oh shit, it's Grace. Hi, Dad, she says, which means she was Emily all along. Here we are, guys. Here we are. Well, first of all, I just want to say off the top, congratulations and thank you to Nolan and Joy, or whoever was writing this episode, for not letting the Is Grace Actually Emily mystery be the organizing mystery of the series. I think if they learned any, they've learned a lot of lessons from season one. They really did. This one was a great example of like, you know, everyone's going to figure this out. Let's just give it to you one episode later. I liked all the little clues, just the fact that she knows like, you know, in the previous episodes where she uh, they encounter all the dead people and mm-hmm. that far off camera, she's whoa, 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 something's wrong. This isn't right. And then all of a sudden she can speak Navajo or whatever language yeah. that the, the uh, ghost nation is speaking. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how does she know so much about this place? Yeah. And it's obvious because her dad's the man in black and they are all have been warped by this experience. There was that really cool moment where uh, she's with Stubbs, um, who I want to get back to just briefly. But um when it turns out she can speak their language or she understands their language, I guess at first she's like, a lot of people don't pay attention to their narratives. Right. But like, I don't, I don't like those people or whatever right, she said. Yeah. And, and, uh, it's clear that like she's all in on Westworld yes. or the various worlds that Delos yes. occupies. Um, but she's kind of taking a totally different tact from her father. Yes. Uh, we'll get into their relationship a little bit later on. The big idea for this episode is a quote from Bernard. Is this now? there is nothing i mean we've done a lot of time jumping throughout a season and four episodes of westworld this episode was fully built around where are we in time yes the two big moments or the two big the beats were obviously jim dellis's the the three different versions of him waking up and starting his day in his little weird uh, hospital apartment and then bernard who can't stay moored in one point, point in time let's talk about jim a little bit is there anything further than backstory that we got from that Jim Delos segment or series of segments? Well, I think beyond just getting a, a further read on Jim's character, we we were further introduced to the idea that real people can be stored in some way in hosts. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean for a future? Yeah. For, for the future of the story. And how long has this been going on and why? Why are we still doing – why over the course of what seemingly was decades are we still seeing how long Jimmy D's personality can hold up in a host, right? I love when Elsie – they come out of the room after they like fight him off or whatever. At the very and, end, yeah. yeah. And Elsie's like, fuck that. They're going to get us all killed so some asshole can live forever. Yeah. And I, I like that because it kind of distilled that kind of angst of like, wait, like what's been going on all this time? Yeah. yeah. But it's definitely the biggest shift in the series since Bernard was revealed to be a host. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's after what we've seen so far this season, I guess it wasn't like it didn't feel like some super mega climax, I guess, that they would be doing this. Uh, It was pretty shocking uh, to be revealed right now again in in episode four. Um, I guess I'm interested in like the subtle differences that they that they, you know, put on display between the three times. It was, you know, he was holding up a little bit longer. Um, He he. 
they said that you know he lasted longer in each you know subsequent replay of his life uh, between each like burning down of what had come before. Yeah. Um, Do you remember like Highlights magazine? They used to have like those two pictures, and it was like spot the difference. And oh, like, yeah. oh, those yeah. were like those three scenes. There were like all these like little ones. Like he kind of puts like a different amount of like ice in the glass, and then he slightly alters the way he says William. He curses in different yeah. places, and it was really interesting to see like how they just kind of like just nibbled at like the edges of it. Yeah, he was his hand was shaky pouring in the milk in the yeah. first. I guess the was it the first two, and then the yeah. third time it was stable. But you know that that there was other stuff wrong with him i can't wait of all of the things that we've of all of the episodes that we've recorded this is the one i'm most excited to see what the internet has to say yeah. on today absolutely uh because there was that like navy blue old book lying on his bed yep. that like i tried five million times to screen grab and failed to see what it was you know there were a lot of uh, you know there were some some quotes uh we were just talking before we went on the air about jim Dellis's sort of like last words at the very end of the episode um, the God above and the God below or the father, you know, above and below. And, and it was the devil uh, looking at his reflection and laughing. Um, I, I, you know, when people figure out what all this stuff is directly related to or, or, or reference to, it, it'll probably add a lot more depth to the show. Um, My favorite part of that was he's literally holding the shard of mirror as he's giving that speech. Right. Yeah. And just something about the just the literal fractured self-image of this guy who's tried to do this like 149 times, which, by the way, 149 times is the most ominous, like, there's going to be 150th time. Yeah. He's coming I mean, back. This, it was one of those great... I mean, there's everything about this show is loaded. Yes. And Extremely loaded. We made a lot of kind of lost jokes and references over the course of the season. Uh, you know, one of the things that Lost was famous for was just like putting books in scenes and making everybody <laughs> rush to Amazon to yes. figure out, you know, like to to read. The, and it didn't add up to a whole lot or it didn't amount to a whole lot. But it was a nice it's always a nice window into like what are the showrunners? What are the creators reading as they're writing? You know, what are they in? What are they being influenced by? Well, there's a ton of those little plays from the various like extremely theorized about shows you know, taking little tidbits of Lost, as you said, and then it's, you know, the the um, little orbs where they store the uh, the personalities of the person. It's, like, very Horcrux-like. And then, like you said, the 149 times that mm -hmm. it's been uh, reincarnated or whatever you want to call the process uh, is very much like Jon Snow being the 998th Lord Commander <laughs> of, yeah. like, the Night's Watch. Like, there's all these little things in there to, to make you theorize uh, even harder than you would have otherwise absolutely true but so we have the we have the the, the triple play of of uh of jim dello scenes and then those are those are pseudo not really paralleled but those are, are are put along set alongside bernard being unable to stay in his own reality um i don't know i know you talked about this some on binge mode jason yeah but when you when you have bernard who's like floating in and out of reality right there's obviously the the question of free will when it comes to a host in general. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when we look at Jim Delos, when we look at Bernard all over the place in his timeline, it really raises this question in a bigger way, right? Like, what is our, like, how much free will does any host have? But particularly if, like, time is a flat circle, you know, yes. <laughs> like, like how, how do, how do we, how, what are we, what are we supposed to take from all that? Do you have, do you have any theories? Uh, <laughs> I, I think Danny Heifetz is the, the theory man in this case, but I think that, um, I think, you know, as the show zooms out, I think we're going to get a, um, a referendum on free will, not just for the hosts, but for the human beings, you know, yeah. like the, the further out we go, you have to wonder what the motivations are in all of this. In season one, there was that moment where um, where Maeve realizes that she's been programmed to escape. Like, mm -hmm. how much of this has happened before and how much of this is happening because of some kind of code that Ford et al. inserted into the various hosts' uh, consciousnesses? We talked about that some last episode. It certainly feels like Dolores is caught somewhere between right. experiencing free will and then also following a script that's necessary for this just anarchy right. to go on. Um, you know, it's it's going to continue to be a question this whole season, I think. But we've seen that, like, the narrative that uh, Ford's new narrative is this is Westworld anarchy. Yeah. Um, but. It does seem like through this anarchy, some hosts are being able are, are able to find their their consciousness. Yes, and 
I, I think that they actually laid the groundwork for defining what free will is to the hosts, at least, and between the humans as well. And that scene when after Elsie fixes Bernard and then basically it's like, I'm done with you, dude. Like, this right. has been a freaking ride. And then he begs her to stay and he explains that he's never had control over anything he's done until mm-hmm. now. And she says, okay, but promise me no more lying and you will not hurt me. And he says, Absolutely, just give me this one chance, yes. And I think that that, I mean, that's first of all begging to be kind of bring up later, and he's probably going to have the opportunity to do those things and be conflicted. But I think that when Bernard made that promise, that that was kind of setting his own cornerstones, that his new cornerstones now going forward are he will not lie and he will not hurt Elsie, and that almost are like his new motivations in a way, or at least things that he won't do. And I think that that is actually the ability to set those things, to make a promise and decide what your promises will be is is the new free will. You know, choke me once, <laughs> shame on you. Um, yeah, I think I think that that's definitely true. There's also this concept uh, that I think really applies to the Dello sequences, that you remember in season one, I think it was in the finale, where Ford is kind of coming clean with what he's been trying to do. Right. Uh, and, he, and he's basically, I mean, he's making the case, who knows how, you know, reliable he is, but he's making the case that, like, he's been trying to bring consciousness to the hosts ever since Arnold died, right? But but he knew that they couldn't just flip a switch. It was right. like, I think it, it was something to the effect of through like repetition and tragedy, right. you know, this consciousness will emerge. And that's sort of where we left Jim Delos, right? I right. mean, at, at the very end, the man in black has sort of figured out either deliberately or accidentally the same uh, the same formula, which is like, it's repetition. It's getting, it's getting, he's getting more, he's getting closer and closer with with each time. But at some point, the man in black's just like, I'm going to torture this guy. I'm just going to give him the worst news ever. I'm going to break his heart and maybe something will come of that. Right. And there's, and at the end he was just like, just leave him in there. Let him like break shit and see what happens. It does certainly feel as if damage to the host's consciousness is what makes this new consciousness arise. Yeah. It's the, the constant overwriting of the previous uh, memories, some kind of obviously an emotional break, uh, those are the things that create this 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 new person, this new consciousness. I think you see that with uh, with Dolores's dad. Uh, so maybe some of it is just like let these guys break down and see what happens after that. Yeah, no, I th- I I think there's definitely a lot to that. So let's get uh, let's move into the big questions of the episode. We are already talking about Jimmy Jam Delos. So here's my first question: <laughs> Is Jim Delos? Are we to believe that he's the only human who has had his consciousness put into a host? Now, clearly the the implication from Bernard at the end is that there was someone else. Yeah. No, yeah, I think he's the only one. I don't think this is ever going to come up again. <laughs> yeah. They're never going to do this again, yeah. Um but I mean what what do we what are what are we to take? Who's the what what is your I know you're writing about this. Danny yeah. Heifetz. Yeah. Or, so, or, or when people are listening to this, you will have written I will have written. We're jumping around in timelines too <laughs> right now. Um uh yeah, so Bernard pilfered one of those things. He kind of picked up one of the, like, the top off the red velvet cupcakes that are those, like, control units. And he put it in his pocket, and that was when Ford was controlling him. So the question is, well, is there a mind on there? Yes. And whose mind is it is the real question. So the obvious candidate is Ford. And is Ford, you know, his last words before he died were, Chopin, Beethoven, and Mozart never died. They just became music. And... Is was Ford his French version? in your retelling? I'm not good at voices, man. Okay? <laughs> I'm not, not everyone can do it with a Robert Baratheon yeah. like Jason. But Ford's last words were that he's alluding to him living on. And I thought that was going to be him being the ghost in the machine. But maybe, no, maybe he actually is just going to actually have a host body. The more interesting option, though, is I think it's his Arnold's mind. And that Arnold is actually the person that was preserved somehow. And that now Arnold will actually be able to be resurrected in a physical form. The implication being that Bernard is not fully Arnold. He's just like the programmed version of Arnold. He's like Arnold in a lot of ways. Well, they probably made Bernard. Now that we know that they used or we can basically assume they used James Delos's DNA to make that copy of him. That's probably how Bernard was made. Uh, We can probably make that leap. And then when you go down that path, there's a lot of interesting questions there. But it certainly opens up at least the possibility of making another Bernard and having Arnold actually be there, but maybe merging them would be. I think when you really, when you kind of zoom back and try to figure out what's going on, there's the Delos 
strategy, and then there's whatever Ford was doing. Yeah. Ford figured out how to put a person into a host in a way that was stable, obviously, we think, because of the Arnold Bernard thing. Now, the man in black slash William was doing something else, probably that's in line with whatever the board is doing with the the hijack code, et cetera, to try and figure out to do what Ford already figured out, but with much less success. So I think, yes, there's going to be more people that are hosts. Um, and I think we have to we have to separate what Ford did, his successes and his the things he was able to accomplish from what Dellis was trying to do with much less success. Sure. I mean, it's clear uh, even before this episode that yeah. Ford sort of understands how this whole thing works right. on a much deeper level and that Dellis is like, let's put, you know, the hard drive into Peter Abernathy. Like they're they're working on a kind of uh, a, a sort of dumbed down level of the version of the right. whole thing. Which I think was part of uh, the part of why they're stealing that code, because it's like obviously Ford knows stuff that we don't know. We need to figure out what that is. Uh, we need to make sure he can't shut this whole thing off. So let's get let's get that code out and see if we can recreate some of his work. So I guess what I wonder this is I mean this is just uh, part of the show is just asking stupid questions. Um, it, it's crazy to think that with all of these secret labs that Delos <laughs> has set up uh, set up all over the place that Ford didn't know about them, right? I mean, he he's, had to. He's not only does he have to in some sense that he's God, but he's like actively terraforming and stuff. Right. You know, he's he's dealing with every inch of this world all the time. So, I mean, at the, at the, at the very end, I mean, uh, Bernard's last flashback was him remembering himself walking into this lab and yep. with the help of the drone hosts murdering everyone. Right. <laughs> and then the drone hosts commit suicide and there's, I guess, one left. But um, do we, I mean, are we to take it that, like, that's when Ford found out yes. that this lab was there? That's or, the way Or I had he it. been letting them work in, on their own for yeah, a Yeah, the way I took it was that Ford wanted to shut that down. Mm -hmm. And now maybe he knew it was going on, and when they, he thought they were getting too close, he then decided to shut it down, or maybe that's when he found out about it. But certainly, I, I Bernard doesn't do anything that Ford doesn't want him to do. So I, I believe that at some point in time, Ford found out about that lab, found out what was going on there, that they were trying to backwards engineer his work in some, in some form or fashion, and was like, okay, let's shut this down. Let's just let's shut it down. That aspect of it is actually really reminiscent of Memento in a way for Bernard's plot because Jonathan Nolan, who's the creator of the show, wrote Memento on a long drive with his brother Christopher Nolan. And spoiler if you haven't seen Memento, but he's basically investigating a crime that he's been doing. Right. And in a way, that's kind of what's really intriguing about this Bernard plot line is it's almost kind of the same thing. Yeah, I, I'm a little bit a little bit uncertain about Bernard's reliability, but we'll yes. talk more <laughs> about that. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. Um, I think. I mean, so is the over? Do you think that the that the cloning of Conj you know, the, the making Jim Delos into a host or whatever? Do you think this is part of the overall Delos business strategy? Going like, is this an idea? The thing that they thought they could do repeatedly if they figured it out, or is this just we're saving Jim Delos? And maybe, you know, a couple other people who we like. This is or is this more of an isolated incident? I, I think, think I think it's I think it is part of the Dallas model, or at least that's what they're trying to sell is some form of immortality. And I also think that uh, much like Ford with Arnold, the other thought here is we can take control of companies of various things. I mean, you take a person, right? Clone mm -hmm. them, take them out of their Ooh. situation, put the clone in. And now we can kind of push levers behind the scenes, you know, secretly and have things work out in our but favor. In, in theory, that's they already can do that. Right? Yeah. They could they could make a clone version of, you know, whoever. Right. Of Mark Zuckerberg. Right. And roll them out there and then they could control them. They, but they don't he doesn't need to be fully conscious for that. The consciousness is the weird thing and how. Uh, well, what if someone said, you know, if somebody, it's like, let's say Zuckerberg, you have, you make a Zuckerberg, you put him into Facebook's office, sure. right? But then people start to talk to him and they're like, why is Mark being like really weird? Like even weirder than normal. <laughs> How weird is that? What is that? No, we're weird. All right. We're going to circle back around to all this stuff. Uh, let me get to the second big question. We, we got no Dolores and no Maeve in this episode, but we got a lot of uh, the man in black. Yeah. We saw the man in black basically inching towards heroism throughout the course of the episode. But he was very clear in the second to last scene that he's not a hero. 
he actually calls himself Death, obviously, uh, we, as, as mentioned um, earlier in the show, and insists that he's not doing good deeds. But is he? I just want to give him a quick shout out and say he can be really corny a lot of the time. That was a sick line. That oh, yeah. That was awesome. Well, I think, I think, you know, listen, Westworld, we can, we can argue about how much of uh, what's going on means what. But I think if there's one thing that Westworld does really well, and Billions actually is another show that does this really well, is they have great button lines. Yeah. The button <laughs> lines are incredible. I'm not sure what the conversations as a whole mean, but the button lines are incredible. Yeah. It was a great episode for the Man in Black. It was a great episode for. I, I, I'm frustrated that we're at a point now where I can't just say the Man in Black and William is two separate characters. This episode just sort of shattered all that. Yeah. But it was a great episode for Ed Harris, I'll say, with even without the last scene in the lab apartment. But that last scene, just watching him walk in naturally with like you know a couple of days stubble on his face and just being William was a really, really cool moment. I think that we can all, we, we'd all agree on that. And it was, it's sort of funny because we have a season of Jimmy Simpson acting like sort of unwittingly at first, but eventually like acting like Ed Harris, like, a, you know, and, yeah. and the big, and the first three episodes of this season sort of morphing into Ed Harris. And then in this episode, we kind of got Ed Harris acting like Jimmy Simpson. You know, it's more of a, he's got to play that regular person outside of Westworld role, even though he's, Fully in Westworld. But what do you think about the rest of the season? Is Man in Black, I mean, is he going to be the hero of this season? Does it even matter? I mean, does that term even have any meaning in the show? I think that all has to do with, well, I don't think it actually has any meaning, no. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, hero is, is a loaded term in the context of this show where um, a lot of the morality of the things you see uh, have to do with your own personal relationship with your views on consciousness and life and whether these the hosts were alive and at what point they became alive mm -hmm. and the, what it does it matter what you do to them et cetera et cetera and so on um we talked a little bit about unreliable narrators in terms of bernard and i've said this before on the show that the 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 show writers runners themselves are the biggest unreliable narrators yeah. and the way that 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 manifests itself in a lot of different ways but one of the small um really pointed ways is when they call a character grace and that's clearly not who it is uh it's probably i mean there might be a little bit of a metaphor in there but we now finally know that grace is emily who is william's daughter who we saw as a small child when uh dolores was playing piano earlier in the season um and now um we realize that it's the same person who was you know chilling in raj world yeah. and now she's um you know the, sh the show ends with her writing up you know, with uh, in silhouette against the sunset and saying, hi, dad. And we know that they don't have a great relationship, or at least according to William, they don't right. have a great relationship. Um, he seems sort of perplexed by her presence, but she seems, you know, kind of happy to see him. Yeah, sort of. Or like, oh, look at this. Isn't this isn't this interesting to meet you here? So also, how the hell did they end up there? She just runs away from Ghost Nation. And then, like, did they call each other? And like, how did, did they text each other? Listen, like, how, how did, did she, how does she get into Westworld from Raj World? I mean, like, I guess she was just right by the edge. Maybe Raj World is a that lot smaller. That was actually swim. That like, was, that that was the thing that we up? missed in the last episode. It was established in when they were on their tiger hunt that they were at the very edge of the park. Yeah, I guess yeah. on the show, yeah. but yes, it's still like the very edge of the park is still no place that the guests should be going. Like, yeah, that was the, very, the very edge for guests should still be like three miles away from the actual edge yes. of the park. Yeah, I was confused that she being near the edge actually meant you could reach the edge. Yeah. But I still don't understand how she went from just galloping on this horse, just chilling, to exactly where they met in the middle of this field. I mean, I guess there's a lot we missed in the middle or something, but it didn't yeah. seem like that. Yeah, it, I mean, with all of the time jumping, and Jason, you pointed this out when we were watching the episode, that they they do use markers to yeah, like yeah. to differentiate yes. timelines. And, and one of the big ones this season is Jimmy Simpson's facial hair. It's the Yeah, there's the, there's the two-day stubble. There's yeah. the... Weak stubble, and then there's the full like uh, I'm grizzled. Yeah, stubble, and they go they go really hard with like lining the beard. Like they <laughs> yes. will like they it's, it's like a really precise shape because they have to make the stubble look thicker. You know, yes. look more defined. Do you think that's deliberate? Just, do you think that they just projected what facial hair and grooming patterns and trends <laughs> would go look to like be in, in the like future? Twenty fifty. Yeah, I don't know because if if we take that, then at the very end with the when when Ed Harris walked in, it was just like he just let it go for a while. There was no trimming that went on there at all um but 
the, but for all of their markers, the ti- it does kind of with all the jumping around they do, the timeline at the very end. Even if it's even if it's really linear, right? We all left wondering how she got from Ghost Nation to on that horse with the hat on. Yes, I mean, where'd she get the clothes? I guess she could have just gotten them anywhere. I mean, I, <laughs> we we were. I mean, at a. I mean, the the Ghost Nation thing was at night when she escaped Ghost Nation. That was nighttime. So presumably, this is you know twenty hours later or something like that. That's plenty of time from her running away for her to like find some clothes and find a horse and figure out where she wants to go. Clearly, she knows enough about Westworld and its internal mythology right. to kind of be headed in the same direction as her father. Um, but I guess, or are, are we going to, do you think that the rest of the season, or is this going to be the man in black and daughter just like on a journey through Westworld to find uh, to find his greatest mistake? Or, or where are we headed? Yes. <laughs> so right, to tie in, so to tie in what, to tie in William's, journey going forward, so to speak, and actually the theme of timelines and not knowing where we are. As much as William keeps walking into James Delos's fishbowl and, you know, it's like a the same conversation happening, William actually had his own version of deja vu in this episode because that whole scene with outside the cantina and, like, you know, shooting the bartender and uh-huh. stuff, that was a, in some ways a frame-for-frame frame reshoot of a scene that happened in episode two, right. Chestnut, where William— Season not, one, episode season two. Season one, episode yeah. two, where instead of Craddock, it's William who's yeah. terrorizing the town. He kills all of Lawrence's cousins and then ter- and shoots and actually dances with uh, Lawrence's wife and then mm-hmm. shoots her, and then uh, the daughter looks at him. When you say William, you forward. mean the man in black. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, so Just because season one, it, they, yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. a lot different. Go ahead. Yeah, so Ed Harris is the one terrorizing her. So we see in his mind in this episode that he's flashing back to thinking about his wife and, and her suicide and how he contributed to that. Yeah. But he's also almost certainly thinking of how he's also terrorized Lawrence doing this exact same stuff. Well, it was him coming face to face with... Um, Someone who is a, a villain on the scale that he himself was, right? Exactly. I mean, seeing seeing Craddock, and we'll talk a little bit more about him in a second, but seeing him, seeing Craddock be just such a black hat, no yeah. pun intended, uh, he he was forced to sort of rethink his place in the world, I guess? Yeah, so it's not just whether he's a hero or not, I don't want to get into that, but to what he's going to do, I think he's specifically going to, like that scene, start undoing some of the trauma he's caused the characters. I think that you're going to see him in some way be involved with Maeve saving her daughter instead of just brutally murdering murdering them. And then I think his ultimate plot is going to end up with, instead of killing Dolores' father and then killing Dolores, he's going to play a role in helping Dolores save her father because that's really the only way. Why would he do that? He's way... all of season one was like, why don't the hosts actually try and kill me? That's what I want. That's mm-hmm. what I, I want to be in here. I want to be torturing hosts where they can fight back all the way. And now he's like, actually, I want to save everybody. If he if he does uh, help save uh, Pete Abernathy, I think it will be because he knows the codes in there. I'm unsure as to why he would now be like, I'm a hero. So Because he's still in love with her. Dolores? Yes, a piece of him. So he okay so but, but I think that maybe the answer is in the question that you just asked. I yeah. mean he he all he wanted for so long was for things to have stakes for the right. host to to care about him to actually hate him. Yeah. You know like that, to, that and was be getting, able to kill him. Yeah. yeah. And actually we see a lot that's again another parallel to his interaction with uh with Jim Delos in that with in the Ed Harris version of that scene yeah. where he's he he has to get the hatred out to try yeah. to like activate him. Yeah. Um but but I think that what we saw the very first scene with him is an is a functionally unnecessary scene with him and Lawrence riding up on the weird train tracks, yeah, where yeah. the where the hosts are so driven mad by their own kind of pseudo freedom yeah. and and you know chaos and whatever else that they are they are nailing each other into the railroad tracks. Yeah. I mean, what what a weird thing, but I think that's that it, quite a metaphor for yes. <laughs> yeah. But I think that it, you know, what we're seeing is is the man in black coming to grips with what he actually what he had wanted for so yes. long, and and the sort of failure in that. And when he when he sees Craddock go nuts, and you know, I mean, just just be so evil. Um, I guess that possibly we're meant to say meant to see that. He's reconsidering what he wanted all along, and then I don't know if that makes him a good guy, um, but that certainly is some character advancement. All right, one more big question, 
This is a really basic question. Is Bernard being honest with Elsie when he says, oh, I'm on your side now? Again, I think we have to, uh, that all depends on what we believe um, Bernard's ability to be honest is. Yeah. You know, can he even tell the truth? Okay, really basic question. Ford's, uh, Elsie knew too much, according to Bernard. So Ford's plan was to have her captured and chained to a rock? Like that, we see at the end of the show, yeah. we see what Ford does with people who know too much. Yeah. He has he has Bernard go in and murder them all. Do we think that Elsie was spared because Bernard somehow had the consciousness to say, I'm not, I'm going to pretend I kill her, but I'm really just going to hide her? Right. Or did he, or was that Ford's plan was just to lock her up? Because that seems like a weird move for someone as di- sometimes diabolical as Ford. I, I de- <laughs> No, I definitely think that it was Ford's plan to keep her alive and that she's so smart that she was starting to figure it out that he would need her in the wars to come, so to speak. All right. But do we think Bernard, it seems like every, there were two or three times in this episode where Elsie was like, I got to get to the Mesa and contact the outside world. I got to, we, we yeah. got stuff we got to do. And every time Bernard gave her just enough yeah. to get her to stay. And then at the end he was like, Hey, you know, I'm a, I got, I have free will now. This is me making my own decisions. And he, he's, whether or not he's being honest, he's playing with her. I think that's obvious. Like, listen, things we've seen, it suggests that Ford is has been trying to stymie Delos's ambition for a while, right? So when Elsie discovers the plot to hijack the data, you'd think Ford would want that exposed, but for some reason he doesn't. Not yet. Mm-hmm. So he's keeping Elsie in play for a reason. What that reason is... We don't know. I mean, obviously, she helped uh, Bernard a great deal. So, TBD. But for I, it does feel like Ford is keeping her in play um, for some kind of— there's some grand strategy at work that we don't know about yet. I, I think that's fair to say. The uh, I mean, one, one of the things, if, if you want to, about keep, want to talk about keeping her in play, at least from a narrative perspective, every all of the main characters from last season are now in, like, uh, human and host— partnerships yes um i think this is it's i mean this is obviously a deliberate move but now bernard and elsie are like you know one of the one of the mini squads we have uh maven sizemore yep dolores has her lab tech not right. a main character from last season but that guy's gonna prove to be very together? important in her plan well they're going to sweetwater now right though her and teddy i think we'll, we'll find out a lot more next episode yeah. That was her reincarnation agent. I mean, yeah. he was the guy who was bringing everybody back, and that that is a sor- that is her the source of her power yeah. in the way that like Jesus doing miracles. Like, yeah. Well, Jesus didn't do miracles for the sake of of getting people over onto his side. That was sort of his thing. Yeah. Uh, but he did do some miracles every now and then. And then you know, every so everybody sort of paired up. I think that Elsie occupies a very interesting space just in fandom. Yes. Elsie and Stubbs, where are they? Yeah. Were like one of the biggest mysteries Huge. coming out of season one. Even at the time, I was like, I don't think it matters. If they come back, like, I presume they're coming back right. just because they didn't die clearly on screen. Yes. But what, if this is all we have, and we certainly may get more on Stubbs, uh, but I think we've known all we're really going to know about what happened to Elsie. Is this a letdown from like wondering what happened that they just sort of pop back up? And I mean, because Stubbs, it should, we got to say it, it, this, this could be enough on Stubbs, too. He said, ever since they captured me, I've been watching them. Yeah. He was captured by Ghost Nation last season. And if I mean, that could be all the connective tissue we're going to get that he's just been under their watch for, you know, however long it's been. Yeah, I think the Elsie, what happened in the interval with Elsie is, is kind of that's more interesting to me. Um, why Bernard didn't kill her, perhaps on Ford's orders to keep her alive is interesting to me. But I think, you know, just seeing, I mean, you you guys were there when we when I watched this screener with you guys. When Elsie reappears, I was like, yes, yeah, finally. Just <laughs> and mostly because of of just like you said, the conversation around her in the fandom and the fact that so much of the theorizing was like, where is she? Is she dead? Is she alive? What happened to her? Are we gonna see her again? Mm-hmm. And then when it kind of been it. it of course, been semi confirmed, backdoor confirmed that she was going to be back, and then just to see her, it was it's pretty thrilling. She's a fun character to have out there. She's when great. Elsie came back, Jason said, "Quote, whoa!" <laughs> and uh, although I don't have the fun answer right here, though we discussed this after we watched David, that part of me, the devil's advocate, thinks season one had a lot of rewrites. 
Yeah. They had to rewrite a lot of the script, oh, yeah. and the boring so, Occam's Razor answer is that they just had to punt on her storyline and stubs for the end of season one, and they were like, we'll pick this up for next season. Yeah, um, I think that there's probably some of that. Yeah. W- one thing that you definitely get when you have a show that's full of rewrites or, I mean, a, a show that's frankly full of robots is a lot of, like, <laughs> robotic performances, and some of those are, I mean, min- mo- many of those are, are deliberate, right? But even even Ford was a very... If not robotic, he was formal. You yeah. know, I mean, it was all it was all sort of performative. And one thing you get with Elsie and Stubbs is just like, like a ten percent dose of smartass. And yes. it's nice to have some like people who are humans acting like humans interspersed in this show now again. Because it is such a humorless show. Ninety eight percent of the yeah. time. <laughs> and Elsie, I mean, Elsie just has so much life. Yes. You know, and, I mean, and even Stubbs has that like you know that little wry style, and and I think it it contributes a lot. I maintain the show would be twice as good if they literally just had one sense of humor slider on all the hosts. And anyone yes. could become comedic relief. And also, you know, moment. like Stubbs, all of season one, Stubb, people are like, yeah, you don't even need that. Uh, these, the hosts are totally under control. He's like, listen, let me tell you something. I have, if you have to go out here every day, you'd have a gun too. So this is in a lot of ways, and I told you so season for Stubbs, who like is constantly looking yes. around like, <laughs> I told you guys this was going to freaking, this could happen. Now look at us. <laughs> also, can I just ask, who's writing the narratives for for Raj World, for Samurai World, and all the rest, like it just seems like everybody's very, very focused on West World, the writing and the narratives and what's going to happen, and then like I guess Shogun World, like we just let that. Uh, I just want to know who the creative team behind those parts of the park were too. That's all. Perhaps it's a comment on how our cowboy and Western obsessive myth- mythology is influenced to an American first foreign policy where we focus on domestic issues, Jason. <laughs> wow. 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 Shit. All right, let's move on from the big questions to our new favorite segment of the week. And this can be, again, this debuted last week. This is called What's Your Damage? Now, this can be a one-sentence answer. This is not—there's no need for a deep discussion here. Yeah. But just for the people who are watching, wondering, why is that character so pissed off? This week we're doing What's Your Damage, Major Craddock. Now, why is Craddock such a bad guy? I was going to do the people nailing each other to, uh, I mean, nailing their fellow hosts into the railroad tracks. Tough look. But I feel like it's the same answer. Danny, just give us the quick version. Why why is Craddock such a a villain? Why, Why is he so pissed off? He's salty that he lost to a girl. All right. Quite frankly. And he's also going nuts. I mean, all, well, no, all, actually, of the, I, all of the hosts are just rampaging, right? I actually do think that, well, I mean, he's just bad because, I mean, he's a Confederate soldier, but I actually do think that everywhere Dolores goes, and Evan Rachel Wood is just, the actor, the actor has discussed this, but everywhere Dolores goes, she is trying to very much play a part that people don't expect of her, and no one ever thinks she's Wyatt when she first goes in, but then by the time they leave, they're like, holy shit, like, I just yeah. got Wyatted. So, Deliat, can we call her Deliat? Dolores Wyatt? No. Okay. You can well, do that. Deliat, um... <laughs> I actually think it's really interesting to see how some of the men react when Deliat gets the best of them, because I actually do think that there's an interesting— Yeah, that's a big shock to their system, although for all the things they're going through, it's not exactly the highest thing on the on the priority <laughs> list. Yeah. Um, by the way, shouts to Jonathan Tucker. He's been a huge—he plays Craddock. He's yes. been huge this season so far, and it, this might be the last we see of him because he did get blown the fuck up, but like— He got unambiguously blown the fuck up. <laughs> um, when we watch these things, these screeners, there's like, the, you know, there's the big— Warning at the beginning where it's like all special effects, you know, no, these special effects aren't final. So, like, don't yeah. let's not get too deep on those. But, man, the, the blowing up was <laughs> it, there was a lot of fire in this episode, uh, which we should discuss. There was a lot of blowing up just in general. At the end of the show, we can talk about this. This might be a quote of the week category. But at the end of the show, Jim Delos is lying there. It's not he's not dying necessarily. He doesn't die till they, you know, till Elsie burns him. But he says, and I believe I'm quoting correctly uh who knows he says they said there were two fathers one above one below they lied there was only ever the devil who managed to look up from the bottom and it was just his reflection laughing back down at you it seems like talking about how the only god was the devil is pretty poignant especially in a show where he is constantly consumed by flames and where uh this exploding nitro is the weapon of choice for all the bad guys um I don't know. What's your? Do you have any devil hot takes, Jason? 
hot take. The devil is the hottest take. All of Jim Delos's quotes are incredible. I have no idea what they mean. Yeah. If you aim to cheat the cheat the devil, you owe him an offering, boy. Yeah, that's the best one. Yeah. All right. Our first award for the week is best quote or monologue. Before we get to those awards, though, let's hear about one of our sponsors. Support for today's show comes from HelloFresh. HelloFresh is a meal delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers your favorite step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. Choose from three plans right off the top, including classic, veggie, and family. Each box is delivered right to your door in recyclable insulated packaging and made up of fresh, responsibly obtained ingredients from carefully selected farms and high-rated, trusted sources. Plus, with the simple recipes outlined on pictured step-by-step instruction cards, you can feel confident in your cooking. There are even lots of one-pot recipes that require minimal cleanup. So you can spend less time meal planning and grocery shopping each week and get that time back to do more of what you love. I've been eating HelloFresh all week this week. It has been super easy, according to my fiance, and uh, it's been super delicious, and that's according to my stomach. We had some incredible chicken. Uh, there was some, like, cherry pork thing, but all, but, the, but there was this, like, steak rice, uh, Asian rice bowl that was the most amazing thing I've tasted uh, all year. I mean, just really, really uh, top-notch stuff. Listen, for 30 bucks off your first week of HelloFresh, that's $30 off, visit HelloFresh.com slash Recapables30 and enter the code Recapables30. That's HelloFresh.com slash Recapables30. R-E-C-A-P-P-A-B-L-E-S-3-0. That's HelloFresh.com slash Recapables30. Offer code also Recapables30 for 30 bucks off your first week of HelloFresh. And now back to the show. The award for the best quote or monologue of the week. Um, there are a lot of good options out there. Uh, we 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 base the show around the quote, is this now? From Bernard. Uh, you just said Jim Dellis's. I mean, that was the best one. There's the great line by uh, Ekcheta, uh, who I, whose name I will always mispronounce until they start saying it repeatedly out loud in the show, to Stubbs, where he says, you only live as long as the last person who remembers you. Um, there's the death stuff. Like, what, what, what was, Jason, what is your award for quote, best quote or monologue in this episode? The best quote is, and we've talked about it already, is the, is the uh, insane Jim Delos quote about the two fathers above and below, but really there was just the one and the whole thing where he's uh, saying this as he's expiring with a face cut up by shards of mirror. Mm -hmm. It it, it was interesting. I mean, he talked about death. I mean, should we read this really? Should we read that line really literally? Because it's, I mean, if you want to look at the Delos, you know, the, the org chart, there, the god below was clearly Ford, who was underground building shit the whole time. And even though Jim Delos might have thought he was the real, might have thought he was running the th- running things, uh, there was a different guy who clearly Jim would have looked at as the devil. Well, I think uh, who, let, who was laughing up from underneath. I, it made me think of of something that happened in the previous episode as well, when Dolores um, is at the fort with the Confederados and they're fighting off the uh, the the Delos guards, and one of the Confederados says, um, "They're coming up from under the ground." Mm-hmm. So, follow below. Yeah. Well, the, all the all of these labs are neatly neatly hidden underground. Danny, so, do you have a quote of the week? Other than just the way Craddock was like, "Amigo." The the one that really stuck out to me was the when Akechita in our defense yeah. they don't actually say his name but uh, Akechita they says, do say it in the at the in episode two okay. when he when he's in the club with uh, with Logan he says his own name okay well they they whisper uh, into Stubbs ear you would live only as long as the last person who remembers yeah, you fantastic that's some that's some real shit yeah there are a couple other ones I want to bring I mean you mentioned Craddock uh, and his line that man that whole man in black sequence was just insane yes. where he was like. You didn't recognize death sitting across from you this whole time. Don't, and then later on, it's don't worry, amigo. I'm here now, watching over you. And then he's dead, which is just fantastic stuff. I think the real line of the episode goes to Lawrence's daughter, who, in her kind of over the top, uh, you know, hyper conscious conversation, 
with the man in black says, if you're looking forward, you're looking in the wrong direction. Um, and in reference to the game that he's playing, but that's what, that's the whole episode, right? I mean, at this point, um, we're just digging back into the past to understand where we are right now. Cause frankly, everything we want to know about this show has already happened. Yes. Yeah. Right. I mean, whether, Basically. I mean, yes. Maeve might get out into the real world, you know, we're going to see some samurais. We're going to like, yeah, there, obviously there's the, the sort of Delos politics or the future of the company or what happens with Westworld. That's, that's all in the future. But all of the mystery, the, the central mystery of the show, which, you know, they sort of have set aside for four, for three episodes, is what happened between the host uprising and the the most present tense with Carl Strand and all those folks. Um, everything's in the past. Yes, very interestingly. Uh, hopefully we'll get back there soon. I miss Carl. Also, the, uh, a Jonathan Nolan staple to have oh, yeah. everything important have happened in the past. You mentioned Memento cover. earlier. Yeah. Our second award this week for the This Maze Was Not Meant For You Award for the Dumbest Human. Jason, who you got? <laughs> this hurts me. But it's kind of Elsie, who was <laughs> recently seen being choked the fuck out yes. by a person that she now knows is a robot. And she's basically like, yeah, that happened, but we're good. It's fine. Yeah. Elsie had a lot of moments of, I mean, there's no reason for her to have known that Bernard was a host. Right. Um, but it is funny, I guess, as like, as the, the kind of wry, smart ass human, she is our avatar in a lot of ways, but I love that like her learning stuff after we've learned stuff felt a little bit jarring, you know, where she's just like, wait a second, you went on vacation. How could you be a host? And then she has to formally (laughs) find out that Ford is dead later on. You know, he's just like, Ford's dead. And she's like, oh, fuck me. You know, like that's the worst thing that could possibly happen. I guess she doesn't know him as a villain or as whatever we saw him as last season. And Elsie's defense, I, I, I'm not here for this Elsie slander. She's like the only <laughs> smart person in this whole show. Is she? She so, didn't come the, to the grip. only smart person? Come on. There's people here that built robots that have human brains. Yeah. <laughs> Look, you can be, you can be smart, smart, stupid. Okay. As my mother would yeah. say. She's not street smart is what you're saying? She's the only person who can, like, look, I'm sure that there are many tech, I'm sure it's very difficult to... I don't know, design a freaking beating heart horse to hurt. Yeah. Beating. Whatever. The point is that Elsie's the only one who looks around and is like, guys, I don't know about this stuff. Um, I'm here. We had very little of the Delos Gala goer crowd this episode. So like the Cowardly Lion from the previous episodes wasn't here to get this award. There were some dumb Delos folks who were like, don't worry, we'll be rescued from the <laughs> yeah, ghost station. Right. Don't, hey, they'll yeah. be here soon. It's, we just got to wait it out. That, that, but I, I'm not giving them more. <laughs> for, for me this week... The award for dumbest human goes to any of the freaking lab techs who just took jobs in isolated underground labs working with uh, working with uh, with drone hosts. Oh, I love the drone hosts. It's man. one thing if you're working if Westworld Dallas is this big company and it's sort of weird that you have to go live on an island and and live there and work there and and you're dealing with it. I understand that, but people like work at Disneyland. Like it's I'm sure they people have apartments next to Disneyland. These are things that happen. But when they're like, you have to work in this hole and you can't tell anyone where you are or what you're doing, that that's a weird job to take. Give me one reason why you would not watch an Office reboot at Westworld where it's just all the Delos techs. Like, that, that would in be the I mean, listen, the, the uh, just mismanagement and, and weird things afoot are just rife at that place. There's so much like pilfering of materials, of using hosts for your own sexual gratification while they should be being cleaned and otherwise uh, yes. maintenanced secret facilities with drone hosts that actually murder you. There's just a lot of uh, don't work here. You're right. Do not work. And listen, it's dumb to take the job. It's dumb to get moved into the private secret lab that nobody knows about because anything could happen. But the worst part, the dumbest thing was when Bernard came in, he's like, now it's time to murder you. And the guy's like, what are you talking about? The, the, guy, the guy is shot. It's like, if you're taking this job because it pays really well or because this is all you want, at least don't be surprised when the hosts turn on you. Yeah. You know, like that's, that's going to happen. <laughs> The benefits are probably pretty good. Oh, I'm sure they're fantastic. Yeah. I'm sure your, their family got a nice uh, got a nice uh, 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 chunk of change off of that. Last big award of the week for the biggest or most shocking reveal. We should call this the Full of Splendor Award. Sure. Full of Splendor. What? What? Jason? What was your What was your big moment of the of the episode? Uh, you know, I did scream when I found out that Elsie when I saw Elsie alive again. But I'm going to go with uh, Grace 
slash Emily that reveal her being the daughter of the man in black slash William. I mean, that's the biggest thing, right? I mean, it, I mean, a lot. This was a big episode. A lot yes. of stuff happened, but like that. Regardless, that was the moment, right? That's what that that was that was the big moment. It was the last moment of the episode, and you know we've we've got a really important new character. What do you think, Danny? I totally thought the moment when it we all like collectively realized that Delos was a host and that they had actually put his consciousness yeah. into a body. It's just it changed everything we know about the show, and it just sets everything going forward in motion. And I it's that blew my mind. I was just like, holy shit. I heard rumors. I heard, like, crackpot friends of mine talking about that, like, a year ago. Like, oh, dude, what if it's like this? And I was like, there's no way. And now that that's, like, true, I, I just it expands my imagination for where the show can go. Yeah. Hopefully it doesn't go too far. I mean, I say this, I say this every episode. Hopefully yeah. we don't go too far down that direction because uh, then what the hell is the show? Right. But, uh, you know, it could be—it's it, it's really, it's really interesting. I don't know. What well, do you—I what, mean, what, how, how much more, how much more of, like— Human consciousness in a robot body? Do you think you, well, I mean, it, to you me, can handle? I can handle a lot more, but to me, it's the, the it's less about the the fact of human consciousness in a robot body. But w- to what end? Why? Why are we doing it? Is it like the classic uh, human urge to be immortal? That makes sense. That's interesting too. But like, are they trying to monetize it? As we've talked about, like, why are they doing this? Uh, is to me the important question. Yeah, my question was real, was very basic, which is like, if they don't have the technology yet to fully turn them into a conscious host, then what are, how do we know that they're like saving the right thing? It's like, it's like Walt Disney's cryogenically frozen head. It like, whenever people like get their heads chopped off and put on ice, it relies on the, the assumption that someday we'll be able to turn heads back to back alive and not like we don't need the whole body. We don't need an ounce of living DNA. Like we don't, who knows what they have, but I guess that's all really beside the point. Danny. I have one crackpot theory on how it actually. Only one. Well, I have many. Uh, I think that the reason they couldn't bridge that cognitive plateau, so to speak. Yeah. I think what's going to happen is he's going this dormant, uh, this dormant Delos that's lying in Peter Abernathy. Oh, that, that's... That's a theory. That's yeah. also oh, the theory is that it's him that's in there. there. Yeah. So we can just go into this now, I guess. But basically that we've assumed this whole time that the data inside of Peter Abernathy is this Cambridge Analytica, we have all the data on all of our guests thing. Yeah. But yeah. now you're like, well, this is clear. What's more valuable, like your marketing project or like we might be able to make people immortal? That seems like a better business property. Yeah, no, I think so I think that's true. And if it, that is what's in him, though, then you have a dormant uh, Delos in Peter Abernathy. But I mean, there's no reason why they couldn't have both, right? Oh, yeah. No, we, just don't, we don't know how much RAM like a, a personal <laughs> like a, exactly. a personality takes up. So I mean that's we'll, we'll figure we'll figure all that stuff out. But it's definitely true if whatever they were doing in that lab seems to be the thing that's most important to the Delos front office. Correct. So uh, I, I think that's a good one. All right, that was a uh, a wonderful segue, Danny. Good, really good work by you for um, oh for our theories and reality check portion of the show. Now, now that we were doing this Tuesday show, we have Tinfoil Tuesdays that pops up every Tuesday morning where we get to like really deep dive into what Reddit's talking about and the rest of the internet and everybody else. Um, we don't want to get too spoilery in this episode. We don't want to go too too deep on, on our main review show into crackpot theories. But if they're your crackpot theories, we'll let them slide. Um, but what do you got this week? Is it what, what did we see? What did we miss maybe in the show that we should be talking about? Yeah. So my favorite is that in the first scene in the whole show between Ford and Bernard in the pilot. Mm-hmm. They're talking about how humanity's peaked. And he says, one day perhaps, Ford says, one day perhaps we will be able to call forth R- Lazarus from his cave. And then in this episode, we discover <laughs> that James Delos is in a lab hidden in a cave where they're trying to resurrect the dude. So that was a really cool full circle. And there's the, pilot. the cave and the fishbowl. I guess the whole thing is. exactly Yeah, and there's a lot of really fun Easter eggs, like, in his little room where he has, like, a fishbowl where, I mean, he's quite literally in a fishbowl, but then you also have a metaphor for fish, goldfish have, like, three-second memories, which isn't true, but the metaphor works. Then he actually actually has, like, this uh, hourglass 
that he has a literal hourglass, hourglass running in his room over and over again. And then if that wasn't on the nose enough, when William tells him like, "Nope, you're like, I'm gonna leave you here forever," and uh-huh. he actually like James smashes the hourglass and it breaks <laughs> and it all pours out. Uh, so that was fun. The other brilliant imagery that really came up was the scene where the drone hosts just murk all the lab techs. The <laughs> the host white fluid, the host batter mixes with like the blood uh-huh. and that image of the blood mixing with the white stuff we've seen that before and the Wait, wasn't that like a metallica album yeah, cover back in the day that yeah. is a metal that is yeah. a metallica album cover um, but the we saw that in the pilot too with milk and blood mixing and it really is a metaphor for hosts and humans merging into something else uh-huh. and then uh it's this imagery of host and human and now we know that that's the mixing of code and dna and then some have pointed out the that the alternate Delos logo actually looks like a Venn diagram. Uh, oh, right. Yeah. So that's an interesting parallel. I just want to point out, Jason opened up the show by talking about the riddle of the Sphinx. One of the yes. one one of like the metaphorical implications of the riddle of the Sphinx was that. Wait, who 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 solved the riddle? So in it's, the, it's in an life, Oedipus or? Rex. It's, yeah. or it's Oedipus. the most famous yeah. version. So, but but the but they you know if you I mean, you can just look on anywhere on the internet, but the yeah. but but the. The deeper reading is that Oedipus is the sort of liminal figure is the phrase is the phrase they use that separates the old gods from the new gods, right? So the it's it's sort of like chiming in the um, well at that point it's bringing in the Greek gods, which are supposed to be like the more modern, wonderful gods. But regardless, whether or not you want to look at this as like if Ford's one of the gods and not whatever, but like or if it's just the old gods are humans and the new gods are uh, the hosts, you know, we're, we're forging their own destiny. This is. Uh, this is definitely a line. Th- this episode is just a line in the middle of the show, showing us uh, or leading us onto our new future, whether that's glory or whatever else. Um, the 149 thing, also, sorry yes. to step all over your your yeah. turf. No, 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 no. Jump, jump on in was was really interesting. There's a lot of different. I mean, I think that you're right. It's 149. We're on the verge of 150. Um, I'm sure a lot of people be digging into 149 being a prime number and yes. everything else that that means. The Shakespeare's 149th sonnet. I can't wait for a really deep reading of that because you know that, um, as we've stipulated, uh, for all with all of these references and poetry, sh- po- poetry is always the first place to look. It feels like on this show. And if Delos um, is in or Delos, the guy is in Abernathy's um, mind, then Abernathy was a Shakespeare pro- or an English professor that quotes Shakespeare all the time in his previous build, which is why he's always quoting King Lear and Romeo and Juliet and stuff. Yeah, not bad. Um, any other details that we haven't picked up on? Yeah, I have um, one massive plot hole I've discovered, and I was reminded <laughs> of it uh, in this episode, but it's really throughout. I cannot wait to we see We are how far into the future, and these people sp- still smoke physical cigarettes. Maybe. None of them vape. That's ridiculous. They could be, they could be cigarette fake like vape cigarettes. That no, just they're not. Act like it could also be a 2018 alternate. You know, we just don't know when this is. We have no idea when this is. There are some theories Wait. that posit that it's in 2053, and like there are some screenshots of certain. If you have the technology items. to make fake humans, then could you not make a healthy fake cigarette? Yeah. It would be in a vape form. No, it would it I, though. I see. Here's no, the that's here's the worst here's thing about the well, that's age a terrible. Divide is no, that, no that's a, that's a bad take. This is where here's where here's where here's where that's a bad take. A thing that happens in culture, in life, is people look back at the past at signifiers of things that signify uh, good life and good living in the past, such as whiskey, uh, drinks, right? We would assume that they're still aging these whiskeys like in barrels and shit like that. So mm-hmm. why wouldn't they look back and say, ah, I want to, uh, I want to show people that uh, I have the finer taste in things. I like old movies. I like the way people lived in the past. Mm-hmm. Get me a real rolled cigarette, not this fucking new vape shit. That's what people will do that. People would 100% do that. Um, he's right. <laughs> do you want to, do you want to, so we, the Rolling Stones play with fire, I think has some pretty, uh, pretty self-explanatory, but you can read that as deep as you want. The um, album is out of our heads. That's on. Yeah. Uh, do the strand by by the. Uh, <laughs> you like that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's specifically a Carl Strand reference or just like a DNA joke, but yeah. uh, but that that was a good one. And then it was notable there wasn't any music the third time it came up. Also that they were searching for fidelity and that that and yes. that, and that yeah. they they talked about fidelity right after a hard cut from the record. Like so, there's there's a lot of sound stuff going on there too. Also the play with fire was originally the B side. Um, to the Rolling Stones song Last Time 
Guys, yes, I think that's where we're going to get to today. It's fantastic. What do you uh, What do you hope for in the next episode? I hope for more of this and less of this. Is maybe like a bad take that people will disagree with, but I find the robot revolution to be extremely boring. Yeah, yeah. Like, let me just. I want to know like about what is what has occurred here. What are the plots within the plots? The uh, actual shoot 'em up struggle for consciousness and freedom is. It's not my favorite part of this show. Totally agree. Our coworker Shocker's one take on the show was let, let let the humans cook. Am I quoting him correctly? That is exactly what Qu- he said. the quote unquote humans. We don't know. Yeah, we don't know. We, we don't, don't know. know. If this turns into Battlestar Galactica, it's going to be a whole different thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that the the actors, I mean, the the character, the human characters were definitely are definitely more interesting right now. But I yes. think that I think I agree more with Jason than with Shocker, just in the sense that like I want. I want to get back on the beach with Carl Strand and yeah. and and figure out what's happening in yeah. the sort of present tense of the show. I want the show, like I know what Lawrence's daughter said that we're not supposed to be looking forward, but like I want to be more in the present tense, looking backwards, and not stuck in this flashback sequence for the rest of the season. I agree. Yeah, well, that sucks for you guys because you know I'm going to get exactly what I want the next episode. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. you know what the episode five title is? Tell what? Me. Welcome to Shogun World. Oh, that's just what it's in called? Japanese. It's literally the title of the episode. Welcome to Shogun World. Well, we've been waiting for that for a <laughs> for an episode and plus. So I'm going to get exactly what I want. Well, guys, welcome to Shogun World. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Westworld: The Recapables on the Ringer Podcast Network. We'll see you back here next time. Uh, Seesaw Motor Functions. Woohoo! Our theme song was made by our friends at songfinch.com. Check out Songfinch to turn your stories, memories, and feelings into a one-of-a-kind song by professional musicians. It makes the perfect gift for any occasion. songfinch.com. Songfinch.com.